Hello and welcome to this, our final part in this five-part series looking at Matthew chapter 16. We have, you may have noticed, all the way through looked at very distinct chunks. So the four parts have followed four different sections, uh, which means I've run out of scripture. Not really. We're going to be dipping back into one or two bits on the way through and looking to round this off in a way that talks to how we go about being church today. Now, I'm in Roadwater at this time round. Uh, you may have noticed the difference, key difference between the last session and this one is that in the last one I had one layer on and now I've got four and it's very frosty behind me. It's a cold day, uh, but I have taken my hat off uh, out of deference to those who feel that preaching shouldn't be done with a hat on. So let's see how we get on. If I start shivering, I will probably pause and we'll come back once I've warmed up a little bit, possibly in a cafe somewhere. Okay, let's read a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read from three or I think, I think three different bits of Matthew 16 and then I'll pray. So we're beginning at chapter 16, verse 4, which says this. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Now, we're going to skip on from there. And we're going to head to verse 11, which says this. Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread, said Jesus. So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast in bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we'll go on a little bit again to this. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And finally, we're going to go to verse 22, which says this. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Those were all from the NLT version of Matthew 16. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord Jesus, we put ourselves in your hands again, knowing that we are in the best place we can be when we do that. We ask that your spirit would intercede and get involved in how we listen and how we read. We pray that you will speak to us in the ways that we need to hear, even if that's a different way one person from another. And we thank you for your goodness to us in revealing yourself to us through the Bible. Amen. Right then, there is a theme that brings all those four verses or passages together. And it's this. Jesus knows. He knows what the times are. He knows what the sign of Jonah means, and that's his death and resurrection. He knows what the Pharisees and Sadducees' intentions are and how dangerous they can be. He knows who he is, as Peter understands for the first time, Jesus has already known. And he knows where he has to go next. And so Peter's 
encouragement to avoid that or to stop it happening is something that Jesus knows he has to ignore and move past and not be distracted by or tempted by. Jesus knows. And this is crucial as we think about how the church goes about being the church. We're not trying to find stuff out so that we can tell Jesus what's going on. As we explore the culture around us, as we dig into what the Bible has to say to us, as we come to understand what each other's challenges and opportunities are, these are things that Jesus already knows. So we are stepping into territory, very often new territory, sometimes scary and sometimes exciting territory, but always territory God knows about already because Jesus knows. I want to just put that uh, not exactly to one side but I want to hold that in our heads while I think about something else uh, that I want to share with you. So I was very fortunate when I was at school that I never had to do the Canterbury Tales, the Chaucer uh, bit of literature in Old English which often needs translating before you can study it. But I do know a bit about the Canterbury Tales. I know enough to know that they're based on reality. People really would travel together on pilgrimage to go to Canterbury. And people of all different types and from different bits of society. Now in the Canterbury Tales, various stories are told by various different pilgrims on different days and different parts of the journey, sometimes on the move and sometimes in the inn at the end of each day. They wouldn't travel through the night, they'd stop and have a break. But it's interesting as you think about what pilgrims were like, that you have also a sense of different ways of travel. Some would travel on horseback, some would travel on carts, some would simply be on foot, but they would still travel together and they'd be a community of people because they were carrying on the same journey. And that makes our experience really very much like that pilgrimage experience. Now I was thinking about this and I got a little bit hung up on one particular way of understanding it um, and that has taken me to a particular way of talking in this final session and that's to do with um, the cart that you might have travelled on if you were a pilgrim going to Canterbury. Carts typically have four wheels. Yes, I am chasing this illustration down as hard as I can, and it will have its limitations, but I'm going to stick with it for now. Cart has four wheels, and I wanted to take a look at those four wheels in terms of the four passages that we've looked at already. So let's have a quick look at what those passages tell us. I'm just going to uh, slow down slightly while a car that's in the car park over there makes its way out. The, the general background noise of moving water over there and of lots of birdsong is fabulous. The noise of cars moving around on that side slightly less so. Anyway, we have these four themes that you might think of as the wheels of the cart for our journey as pilgrims together, for our journey as church together as we walk alongside each other in discipleship. The first is that we read the times. Now Jesus knows what the times are like. He knows what the big events are. He knows what his involvement is. He knows what his message is to our culture at our time. But we are still encouraged to read the times, to know what the big things are and the big ways in which Jesus responds to them. 
we pay attention to the world around us as church. That way we can encourage each other in a way that makes sense for who we are now. The way in which we encourage each other in our discipleship today is different from how people needed to be encouraged as disciples in the 70s or the 50s or Victorian times or before. So we need to be in the right place. Second wheel. The danger of yeast. We need to check ourselves and each other. You see, part of what Jesus was saying to his disciples was, there are people out there who will talk about priorities that are going to distract you from what really matters. And the yeast of that is that those misplaced priorities at best, deliberately misleading at worst, will take over the whole of the church. They could dominate the, work, the way the church sees the world, the way the church sees one another. So we've got to be aware of those things. Thirdly, we declare Jesus. Do you remember a couple of weeks back when Peter first said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jesus said, it's on that understanding, on that declaration, that I will build the church. Jesus longs to build his church, but to do so, he needs us to be... Oh, what's the right way of putting this? Faithful? have clarity about who Jesus is and how he is central. And fourthly, fourth wheel, sacrifice. We follow Jesus and we're willing to sacrifice all kinds of things that aren't him. And there are many of them. Some of them are perhaps easy and obvious. I'm thinking at the minute about what I might give up at Lent time. I don't usually do that, but it feels this year that I might need to. So there's Things I might give up that are material, but also there are things that I might give up to do with my status or my comfort or my assumptions. Now, because of the way my brain ticks, these four things also became four perspectives for travel as well. Reading the Times, I thought, well, as you travel as a pilgrim on that cart, what do you see? What are you looking at? What are you paying attention to in the country that you're travelling through? And then the danger of yeast, what are we carrying? What do we carry with us that's baggage, that's maybe unhelpful, that weighs us down or distracts us? And then I thought, well, for that, for that bit about declaring Jesus, what do we talk about? I'm still struck, I'm not very good at this, but I'm still struck by how often at the end of our gathering altogether as, as church, and I think even in the smaller gatherings too, quite often that the... the sort of the bungee cord of conversation that has been dwelling around things the Bible says and how we understand Jesus in our lives, that twangs back to what's going on sort of socially for us or, or what are the priorities for us in our family or uh, are we going to be able to do the things we hope to do this week because of the weather? See how easy it is for twang away from um, our discipleship as we talk to one another. So what do we talk about? And fourthly, what do we leave behind? It's so easy, wouldn't it, just to take everything with you on that pilgrimage. Fill up the space, fill up your, your luggage space. If you're walking, carrying a heavy bag full of stuff that actually you don't need. Making space on the cart for others rather than insisting on carrying your own stuff. All of it. Maybe some of these things are stretching the metaphor a bit much. But I thought that 
I thought that it was worth asking those questions too. And we'll come back to them a bit later. Let's go all the way back then to how the, we looked at the passage at the start. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the culture that we live in. So he knows what our challenges are. And perhaps one of the bravest things we can do in prayer, particularly with others alongside us, is say, what is it, Jesus, about the culture around us that we need to notice? What maybe do we need to feel angry about in the way that Jesus would do? Jesus also knows what our yeast is. He knows those bits of teaching that we're carrying with us that make us legalistic or that deny important truths. Remember the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. There are ways in which the teaching of Pharisees and Sadducees can totally obscure, corrupt our thinking as we walk together. But Jesus knows what they are and we're going to need to ask him to show us. Very often we'd rather he didn't, but we need it nonetheless. Jesus knows who he is. Perhaps we need to ask him to remind us or ask each other to remind us. Just remember who Jesus is. Yes, he is humility. And that's the example we should follow. Yes, he is full of kindness. And we should follow that example too. Yes, he is uncompromising. Yes, he is forgiving. Yes, he is mighty and powerful. And actually... In him, we have no need to fear. All of these we can deal with by knowing who Jesus is. And, and although we, many of us, most of us, possibly all of us, have come to an understanding on some level, we still need reminding. Jesus isn't somebody who you just get to go, oh yeah, I get that. He's somebody whose character we dig into and we delve deeper and we ask him about himself. We sit alongside him and let him tell us what he is like. And Jesus knows what it's like to sacrifice and he will know what we need to sacrifice. Better than we will. We will be blind very often to the things that we need to sacrifice because we don't want to have to do that. If sacrifice was easy, it wouldn't be called sacrifice, would it? Never forget David at the point where he wanted to make a sacrifice as he was carrying the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. was offered land and space and uh, insisted on paying for it because he said, I won't sacrifice something that cost me nothing. Sacrifice just comes at a cost. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, aren't always keen to pay that cost. So, Jesus knows. He knows our pilgrimage. He knows each one of us. He understands what we need and he has already given us answers to those things, not least in each other. Jesus knows our times and is calling us to respond to them. Jesus knows. And we have a pilgrimage to make. It will last the rest of our lives. It will be full of joys and exciting scenery and lovely inns to stop at and warm beds and good food. It will also be a pilgrimage where we have to decide what we leave behind, 
who we're willing to gather up along the way. It will be a pilgrimage where we have to be aware that sometimes the conditions underfoot will be bad. Sometimes there will be a risk from those we pass along the way or those who want to attack us as we go. None of this is designed to be easy. But guess what? The kingdom of God is always worth it. The promise of Jesus is always worth it. The opportunity to walk with a God who knows, to make a pilgrimage alongside those who also want to follow him. A chance to see his spirit at work. Now that is what I call church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for being straight with Peter. Thank you for knowing who you are and not being sidetracked. Thank you for being honest and direct with Pharisees and Sadducees. Thank you for not standing for any nonsense. Would we embrace and welcome all of those things in you? That we might be the church you're calling us to be. Amen. Okay, we're going to ask questions again. Um, I'm very conscious that half of my face is now almost entirely in shadow. Hopefully that doesn't look too weird. Um, I said, I promised that we'd come back to these questions, and so we will. I'm going to use them as our questions. So there are four of them again. And to those of you who uh, have um, gently upbraided me for sometimes going for more than three questions, this is another of those moments. Hang in there, folks. Our four questions are this. As we travel as pilgrims together, what do we see? What do we see as we look out? What's the world around us like? And which way do we face? Forwards or backwards? Question two. As we make this pilgrimage journey with each other, what do we carry? What are the things that we assume Jesus wants that maybe he doesn't? What's the teaching that we carry with us that's unhelpful or legalistic? Question three, as we make this pilgrimage journey together, what do we talk about? Do we talk about the temptations that we face? Do we talk about the bits of our character that we know Jesus needs to work on? Do we talk about the ways in which we stumble or we're worried that we will fail or fall? What is it we talk about as we travel together? And finally, question four, as we make this pilgrimage journey together, what do we leave behind? Do we ever perhaps need to leave people behind? Not so that they never reach Jesus, but perhaps because they need to be part of a different pilgrimage party. Do we need to leave behind something of our assumptions or is it actual stuff? Do we need to stop carrying a thing? A thing that's precious to us that actually distracts us from Jesus. What do we need to leave behind? Okay, those are our four questions, and we've reached the end of Matthew chapter 16. Thank you for walking with me through this chapter. We're going to move on uh, soon to be talking about how we grow on our front line. And there'll be a book heading your way that's to do with that, uh, and a slightly different way in which the groups will engage with those things. 
but you will still get teaching from me week by week. Okay, take good care. God bless and I'll see you soon.